All right, Exodus chapter 9, first seven verses is all we're going to get through because I want to talk about environmentalism. Because <laughs> we're right in, the, right in the middle of the scriptures and God's wiping out animals. We better talk about what God thinks about environmentalism. Um, we need to understand our role with the planet. So we're going to talk about this first plague and then the second point we're going to kind of look into those because um, we don't want to be known as those who don't care but we also want to understand that we have a God who has control of that. So we, we'll take a few minutes to look at that as well tonight. Exodus chapter 9, 1 through 7. Let me just read this since we're just going to deal with a portion of the text today. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them, Behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock, which are in the field, on the horses and on the donkeys, on the camels and the herds and all the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. And the Lord set a definite time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Father, help us now as we look into your word. We want to grow and more in the likeness of your son. We want to understand you, God. We know that that is so important to our spiritual growth and into our way we worship you. So help us know you better from this text and marvel at you. Help us be good stewards of what you've given us here. And so be with our study tonight. May you be glorified in what we say here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the outcome of human sin just does not only affect humans. Can you kind of see that in the text? The outcome of human sin just does not just alone affect human beings. And and when you think about this, God placed mankind in charge of creation, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. He, He said, this is my creation, but I want you to have dominion over it. I want you to manage it. It's a word for stewardship. So he gives that in creation, that creation order to Adam. So when mankind, think about this, when mankind willfully rebels against this one and true living God, there are consequences. And there's actually a massive consequences that fall on God's creation, not only us, but on God's creation. Now, from the beginning, and we see this, I think, even heightened more today, even, even as time goes on, that people have chose to worship the creation rather than the creator. Right, Romans 1, 2,000 years ago, that was written. If that isn't as true today as it's ever been, I, you must have your eyes closed. Um, boy, you can, you can murder an unborn baby, but if you, you know, run over an eagle, you're done. <laughs> so it's just, I mean, there's just a change in the way we view uh, God's creation, and that's been growing steadily worse. So God judges sinful behavior, doesn't he? And he judges the sinful behavior of worshiping what he created on those who will not worship him. 
And so he challenges this behavior and he overthrows false religions through time. And this is such a good understanding of this text. Here's this false religions that's all built on gods that reflect the animal world. And each one of them he is taking on. And he is showing that he is greater. But we, we know that creation groans, right? Because we have to understand when, when Adam and Eve disobeyed, willfully disobeyed God and partook of that fruit because idealistically they wanted to be like God. When they saw they could be like God, be wise, have all these things, they took of it, creation fell. And, and it became difficult. And, and that those animals that were so useful and so right there became difficult. They had to be trained now. They, they bucked you off the horse. They, they had venom. I mean, all kinds of things started to change, right? And so the Bible reminds us that. I think just, you know this passage. Let me just read you a few of these verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. Is the creation anxiously longing, in verse 19, for the revealing of the sons of God? Now, that's a very important phrase. God is going to reveal us someday. It is, it is the mark of when he returns, he reveals his children. So the creation is longing for that day when the sons of God, the, the, the ones, the chosen of God, are revealed because they know there's going to be a great change that's going to come with that. Verse 20, for the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope that the creation itself would also, listen to these words, be set free from its slavery of corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the creation is waiting to be released from the slavery that it's under because of sin. And then the last verse 22 is really telling. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffer pains of childbirth together until now. And today, this text reminds us of that. So when we look at chapter 9, we find this sequence of, of plagues, and they're, they're escalating. <laughs> Each one's getting worse. And you just go, are you going to say uncle yet, Pharaoh? No. <laughs> you know, he's, his heart is so hard. God has hardened it. He has hardened it. We looked at all of that, right? And, and so here they begin to escalate. And, and the fact that Pharaoh will not modify, he will not change his position shows this inescapable understanding of how hard man's heart can be towards God. And his heels are in the ground and his heart is, the, is his heart is the road. But time after time, God presents himself through Moses and Aaron before Pharaoh with truth, with support, overwhelming support and evidence and marvelous events in front of him and yet he rejects this living God to hold two dead gods who God is taking on one at a time and showing that they are just that. They are not gods at all. They are just dead. So here we begin to look at the fifth plague. And this is where God strikes the Egyptian livestock. Uh, that's as far as we'll get tonight, but we'll tackle the next two next week. But, but here, I just want you to understand, this is coming. And this, I'm going I'm to prove to you, I think, that if you hit a nation's livestock, you'll bankrupt them. And I'll prove you tonight if you did that to us today. If you hit this nation's livestock, you'd bankrupt us. We would fall completely apart. And so God knows what he's doing here. Not only is he taking on the gods that they represented, that they worshiped, we'll see this, this black bull calf that was in, in center in worship there, 
but we'll also see that he is bringing them to their needs financially as well. Now, the narrative doesn't tell us how much time was between, between these plagues, but I think we can figure it out. If we, if we study it, we begin to see in some of the plagues it'll say, you know, the barley was in, was, you know, in the beard and, and so forth. There's, so you can kind of understand when some of the plagues are. So most theologians think that the first plagues hit somewhere to mid, mid to late summer, and then we know they come out during Passover time, which would be somewhere in the month of March or April. So somewhere around, there's somewhere, I think it's a sequence of, I would say somewhere around nine months that these plagues are hitting. This would be a long nine months. You're dealing with blood and dead fish and frogs and flies crawling in you. And I mean, just a nightmare. And there, meanwhile, your sovereign, thinking he's a god, Pharaoh, <laughs> Just keep saying, oh no, let's go another round. Imagine what the people are doing. No, mat, no, re, no, mat, uh, no wonder they begged Pharaoh, let him go. There won't be nothing left here when he's done. And then finally, we want to look at the end, as I mentioned earlier, is what is the responsibility of a Christian in the environment? How do we handle the environment? And how do we handle some of the crazy things that go on in our society? But let's look at this first plague quickly here. Number one. Uh, another plague and another victory over a dead Egyptian god. I didn't know how to label this. It's just, it's just, that's what I thought. It's another plague and another victory over a dead Egyptian god. So just like the last plague, the land of Goshen spared here. And again, this is fascinating how he does this. I'm, I'm not sure the Bible doesn't tell us how he does this, but he protects this land of Goshen. And just like the last plague, God's directly attacking false gods. Look at verse 1 with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Now again, it's God always taking the initiative. And, and, that, and that's what God does in our life. He always takes the initiative and he, he does that. He doesn't wait for Pharaoh. He just says, this is what I'm going to do. And as before, he uses this term, the God of the Hebrews. Now I think it's clear that God is dividing two parties within Egypt right now. He's, he's drawn a line, he's, and he's identifying himself with one of them, right? So his people are enslaved, and they're prevented from worshiping him as he requires of them. So the result is that this government has sided themselves, this nation, against God who's requiring his people to worship, and God's coming in and drawing a line and saying, these are mine, this is the way it's going to be done. Now notice the language in verse two. He says, if you refuse to let them go, I, and continue to hold them, verse three, behold, the hand of the Lord will come. Now the language is strong here. If you hold them, you don't let them go. If you hold them, this is a direct, this is a direct comment to the disobedience of God. And, and brothers and sisters, we know if we stand in disobedience to God, we can expect him to do something. He does not put up with that. And so here comes God. He's a loving God, particularly to his children. But this man has refused to let his people go. And so he comes with a strong, if you refuse to let them go. Now notice in verse 3, it says, behold. I think this word's here because it represents a very vivid statement against, against the stubbornness of God. And as we lovingly disciple and counsel people, we need to say to people, listen, friend, brother or sister, person that is in sin, behold, God sees this. (laughs) 
He is not unaware of sin. And, and, I, and I, I resonate with this in my own life. He doesn't want this. And so the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. We know that the Bible says that. But he also stands against sin of those who reject him. And he will deal with this. So there's this behold with this vivid, vivid statement of God showing the stubbornness of Pharaoh. Now notice also what follows here is a warning that the hand of the Lord, which is a metaphor. Now it's a metaphor of the divine power. It's about to strike again. It's about to strike again. And you know what he's going to say tomorrow at this time. I think I said this last week. I would start getting really nervous if I was an Egyptian. Do you know what happened last time? You're, you know, I don't know if you're watching a wall. I guess a dial thing. And, oh my goodness, this is going to happen again. We just got done with this. La- We're still cleaning up flies and frogs and gnats. And we still got frog in my bread. And we're going to do this again. So uh, there's this divine hand that's about to strike. It's an interesting term. There's a lot of the Egyptian gods have an outstretched hand. And it was, it was in order, they would say, that, that they, they molded that image to show that these gods were protecting the nation. So isn't it interesting that God says, I'm coming with the power of my hand against the nation. He opposes every one of their gods and shows that he is greater than them. So in essence, God is reversing the protection the Egyptians have, showing they're not protected while he protects the, while he protects the Israelites. I, I, I take great confidence in that. You know your God is always protecting you? I, I mean, think about it. How... How often he guards us from trouble that we don't even know of. And yet here, these pagan world, they look to uh, an image, a molded image or a molded image to protect them. The living God is protecting his people. Now, verse three, in the middle of verse three, it tells us that there's a very severe pestilence coming. Uh, We get the idea from heavy and uh, it's been used several times in here. So this time, God's coming after their livestock. Now, notice it says the livestock that are in the field. And I think that's kind of an important thing because we'll realize not all the livestock get killed here because there's some that he gets later, right? He's, he's got some hailstones headed for some of them as well coming up in a couple of plagues. But it's all those that are in the field. So this, here's the Hebrew, this dense, this heavy, this severe plague is gonna hit your livestock, now you can read a lot on this. There's people who think this was some kind of anthrax um, that hits, and anthrax is very bad. It can be passed from animals to humans. It's something around dead animals. You have to be careful of it. Does develop in dead animals, uh, but usually it takes two or one to two days to understand that somebody has it or an animal has it, and then it takes time to die. And the text just says that he comes and he strikes them and they die. Uh, so, so I don't think that's probably it. But I'm not sure we understand the magnitude of what this did to Egypt. Uh, in the 1930s, uh, we had a bovine disease hit America. Um, and they shortened the term, but we, it's a bangs disease, and there's a bangs vaccination from it. If you own cattle, uh, you have to bangs your heifers. It went through the female into the cattle's, uh, cattle, and it's the one shot we can't give. We have to have a vet come out and do it and so forth like that. Because bangs disease is, will just absolutely go right through the nation. Uh, and so they were able to uh, make a vaccine and they stopped the loss of that. It started in the milk cow world, went over to the beef cattle world, and it became very bad in the 30s. And you go back and read on it, how many cows died of that. And it scared the nation 
Because you lose your livestock, your nation will go down. And so you can see why this is an, a very important thing. In 9-11, only people that have registered brands probably would have known this. At 9-11, after 9-11 went down, uh, we were running our ranch and we have a registered brand and so forth. We immediately got a letter from the State Department. Said, please keep track of your cattle. Make sure, report if anybody is suspiciously among your cattle. And they were certainly after a wasting disease called mad cow disease. And many believed what happened in Europe in the late, uh, late 1990s over there, as that hit, they believed it was a terrorist movement. Because you get that into a herd of cattle in a nation, you're taking out so many things. And I was tempted to bring you a long list, being a cattle guy, of all the things we have from cattle. And to help you realize how, what, what, I mean, everything from surgical, and you just think of ice cream, don't you? Because you want to go get ice cream after we're done here, or a milkshake. It's so far beyond that. I mean, everything that's leather and medical and tennis strings and, I mean, it just goes on and on, all that comes from it. And so we imagine if the United States lost their cattle industry, what it would do to this nation. And so when God declares that he's going to strike their livestock, he is striking their financial institution in so many ways and not only the deities that they worshiped as well. So if you look at the end of verse Chapter three, he says there's severe pestilence coming on your livestock, which are in the field. And notice it's, it's not just cows. So I, cat, cattle deal with anthrax and, and sheep mainly. That's where we normally find it. But this is horses and this is donkeys and this is camels. And it says on the herds. So that could be numbers of things that goats and other things that they would have done on all the flocks. So this was a widespread destruction that God put. And he did this through the power of his hand. Now, Egypt was known for worshiping animals um, uh, that posed as deities, right? One of the particular animals that Egypt worshiped was a bull calf. Now, why is that important? Because that's what's going to happen when Moses is on the mountain and the kiddos are down at the bottom. Guess what's going to, as Aaron says, it just came out of the fire. They call it a golden calf, but when you look at the Hebrew words, it's the exact same Hebrew word as this word here. When it talks about bulls or cattle here, it is the Hebrew word for that God that they worshipped. So guess what he's going after? The next God that they have. Guess what, the, guess what happens with the Israelites when they turn from God, think Moses is dead, reject the living God, they start worshipping an Egyptian God. Don't tell me the world does not have influence on people who follow God. We have to be very careful of that. The world influences us. And, and we, have to, we, we have to be in the world but not of it. And we see that illustrated. But here's a, here's a perfect example. This was what they called a black apis bull. Um, and it, it was seen in many of their gods. There was a female god of uh, of love and she was had a cow head on her and you, you might have seen this she was black and her horns went up and she had a little flat plate on there this this was a main god and then there was other bull gods that that were worshipped and were, were the associate the right hand god to Ra who was uh, the creator of the sun this bull god was part of that as well so so it's absolutely clear that God is going after this occultic worship of this nation and proving himself to be greater. Now, look at verse four with me. The Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Egypt and the livestock, excuse me, livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die 
of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. So the Lord continues to separate his people from those who reject him. He separates his people from, now listen to this, from divine judgment. Now this is animals and and his plague that's coming on there, but this is important to understand. God separates his people from divine judgment. So what does that mean? Well, if you're not his people, you're susceptible to his divine judgment. And all those that are not his in that great day of the Lord will fall under his wrath and they will see his divine judgment. Jesus is said in Matthew chapter 25 to do, separate what? The sheep and the goats. And he pours his divine judgment upon the goats. The sheep he enters in to a heavenly rest with him. This is what he does. And so we see this very consistent of our God separating this, from, separating one group from another here. Now, we recall, think about this, we recall that the Israelites were what? They were shepherds, right? So Joseph said, don't tell them who you are because you know, it's, it's, they really look down on that. That's filthy and unclean. But in that process, you remember, Joseph convinced in, in one way or another Pharaoh to let, let the herds of, of the Pharaoh in the herds of Egypt be taken care of by who? The Israelites. Now go down this track with me. That means they're probably intertwined. And there's nothing in scripture that tells us that that stopped happening. Doubtlessly, it was part of the slavery now. Before, maybe they paid them to take care of it. Now it's probably slavery. They're taking care of Egypt's main herds, particularly the Pharaoh's herds. So now you have mixed herds in the land of Goshen, and God's going to target which ones? I mean, this is like drone strikes. You know, two people standing, and one gets taken out. This is how precise the judgment of God is. I mean, I study this and I go, I'm so glad you saved me, God. You know who's yours. You know who who divine judgment's gonna fall on you. They cannot move out of their target. He he sees that. And as I thought about that, I thought, wow, these animals were probably mixed. And yet, as you see in the story, not one of the Israelites' animals were struck in all of the Egyptians war. Boy, I don't know. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd beg you to repent. He knows whose is his, and he, and he does judge. And so I think this is a miraculous, omniscient hand of God that he can precisionally strike and protect at the same time. Look at verse five with me. The Lord said a definite time. This is a little scary too, huh? I think I said last week in, on the West Coast we're we're having earthquakes out there. It's like all of a sudden you just start shaking. <laughs> it's, if you've ever been in a massive earthquake, it's really wild. Here you go. We got a hurricane coming. Yeah, I got two weeks. <laughs> it's a whole different natural disaster here, you know. And, and uh, so when we moved out here, everybody's going, oh, you have those hurricanes out there. And then they've had a couple of earthquakes. And they go, you know, we think your hurricanes are pretty good. This is a set time. Think about this. God's saying, tomorrow I'm striking I think I would have repented. You, you think humanly we would, right? And then we realize that God has to open the heart of man. We can't do this on our own. We're, we're deprived. Our will is corrupted. And so, so here comes this strike, and notice it's tomorrow. It's pinpoint precision and prediction here. And, and notice that the prediction announces the beginning of it, not saying, oh, this, when this has already happened. So a lot of these faith healers and, and people making these predictions and all this stuff, uh, when they make predictions, well, 
they never turn out, first of all. But often they make it, and then they come and say, oh, I did this. Oh, I was predicting this. No, God predicts it, and then it happens precisely as he says. And that's the divine power of God. Now, amazingly, um, the, the warning falls on deaf ears, doesn't it, to Pharaoh? He seems unconcerned. And this is the heart of someone who is hard. They're not concerned. No matter how much evidence, no matter how much scripture and God's word is put in front of them, their hearts remain hard. And it kind of staggers us, doesn't it? But I think we all probably have people in our life that have heard the word of God. It's been shown in front of them. They've seen, they've seen amazing things. Uh, I was meeting with somebody that was in one of our, one, came to one of our funerals. And um, I was talking to this gentleman the other day and he, he said, wow, that was quite a funeral. And I, man, the things you said, I mean, it was, you're, 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 you're quite the speaker. He kept talking about my abilities to speak. <laughs> I said, well, what about what I said? <laughs> uh, no, you're, I just remember you being really powerful. Hmm. Need God to precisionly open the hearts of mankind, don't we? So um, in this text, nothing said about Moses or Aaron directly involved with the onset of this. This one, he doesn't even go out and put out the staff. It just happens the next day. Just as God says. Look at verse 6 with me. So the Lord did this thing on the next day. I have that all underlined in my Bible, all marked up. <laughs> the Lord did this thing. It's a real thing, and he did it. And the only way that you can walk away from that verse is to say, well, I just don't believe it. I don't believe God. That can't be true. The Bible says, on that time, on that next day, God did it. And so we believe it, don't we? As Christians, we just believe it, right? We go, that's pretty crazy, Scott. You're talking about the death of thousands and hundreds of animals and stink and smell and dead stuff everywhere and all the disease that comes with dead things. And yeah, 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 that's what the Bible says. Do you believe that? Oh, absolutely. Why? Because the Bible says it. And God doesn't lie. And it isn't true because I believe it. Right? It's true because God said it. So I love this verse. So the Lord did this thing on the next day. And all the livestock of Egypt died, but all the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one was dead. So this is what a direct hit to the livestock and the economy and all that was in the field here. And if you have grazing animals, they're most of the time in the field. So this probably got the majority of them and wiped them out. So much of the Egyptian livestock is gone and devastated the economy there. Now, certainly there was probably some livestock that wasn't in the field, some were spared because uh, there's still hail that gets to take out some of those. Now, despite the, the overwhelming impact of this plague uh, that the Lord does here, notice that Pharaoh, he, he receives his reports, but he doesn't, he, he doesn't crack. But, but it's interesting what he does. Look with me at verse seven. Pharaoh sent, that's an interesting that's real wooden, the NASB here brings it real wooden out of the Hebrew here. He sent, and what, it, what it's saying, he sent this committee, he sent these delegates, he, he sent really what is called, really probably what we would say, he sent an investigation group. So here in verse seven, Pharaoh sends this group to investigate. Now he, that means that he was, getting, he was getting word, it was coming in from, from the front lines out there, and, and people are coming out, hey, all our cattle are dead. What? Another group comes in, hey, all our cattle are dead. And, and so he, he has to investigate this, so he takes a group and he sends them out there. And notice the word again, here it is again, twice it's used in this passage, verse three and verse seven, behold, 
it's like a surprise to him. <laughs> it's a surprise. <laughs> Frogs, flies, <laughs> dead fish. This, God said, it happens. This is a statement to help you understand how hard we would be if it was not for Christ. And it's easy to say to the world, oh, they're just, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. We would be in that handbasket if it wasn't for God. And we would see the evidence of God. The sun would rise out of the east and we would see it rise and go, I wonder how that whole thing evolved. And we would believe in evolution and we would, we would not ever think of a God or if we did, he was maybe a clock winder of some sort. But that's not how we think, don't we? We go out there and we watch that sun come out of the ocean or there and we go, whoa, just like God said it would so many years ago, it's still doing it. And it's still in its path and it's still giving us light and sun and growing our vegetables and giving us heat. We would marvel at it, don't we? We drive up to the mountains and we go, oh my goodness, God, this is amazing. And yet the world looks at it and says, wow, billions of years and we'll add another billion if we can't figure it out. See, we're amazed at him. But notice this one, this Pharaoh is behold, he's amazed. So he had to send this delegation out, this investigating, it went out and it was true, just like the reports that were coming in, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead. It isn't interesting, he talks about Israel before he even talks about Egypt. Because here's what I think would happen. He heard all his were dead. And he's going, wait a minute, those wretched slaves of mine, they didn't lose any? Go out and see if they lost any. I think it's a realization who he's dealing with now. He's truly separating these people as he pours judgment on them. The word here, um, where it comes, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Remember I told you this is that word for heavy. We see this Hebrew word, there's several Hebrew words used for this. His heart just got sluggish. It just sits down in its, in its rebellion and doesn't move. And he did not let the people go. Well, this got me thinking, and I decided instead of taking on boils, which will be really fun, <laughs> oh my goodness, I would just quit right now, but um, we'll take on that next week. I, I thought I would talk a little bit about which was my second point here if you have my notes, environmentalism, climate change, and, play, and a plague-sending God is what I entitled this. Because I think we have to think about this as Christians. Uh, if you just watch, Gene and I were watching something the other day on the Australian fires, I think it was 60 Minutes or something like that, and, and man, people were fighting mad because not everybody believes in climate change, and this is it, can't you see what's going on? And they were swearing and mad and just going crazy and they were talking about the climate crisis and the president of the United States doesn't care about these things and we're all going to die and, and Arctic thawing is happening and, and at record paces and there's dangerous gases and, and it's just stirring fear and you go, whoa. And if you just watch that, you're going, I got to get a bomb shelter, bury it in my backyard and live in there. <laughs> right? We actually had to rebuke a few Christians that started to do that. And so it got me thinking about this and what should, what should we do as Christians? Do we panic? Uh, uh, how do we handle this as uh, this growing fear comes? Well, it always starts where, right? Anyone want to say it for me? The Bible? <laughs> oh, you think he has something to say about the world he created? 
Do you think we should probably look there? And yet, friends, I want to tell you this. Within the evangelical movement, there's huge movements within people who refer to themselves as Christians that are caught in this. And, and they're, they're going down a dangerous road here. Uh, and so emotions start getting out of control. I think why we look at the Bible, because it is a little, there are some things, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute, that we go, oh, okay, that's, that's, maybe there's some change and some things going on. But we can't let our emotions drive what we believe the word of God has to drive that. And so I think it's important that we don't let fear motivate us. Uh, so A here, God has ultimate control over his creation. God has ultimate control over his creation. The scripture is clear that God is sovereign over everything, right? Including the weather. So we, there's just, you know, the Psalms are really fun to study on creationism because there's probably, well, I know there's, there's more talked about creation and these type of things in Psalms than any book in the Bible. But listen to Psalms 115, we'll start with this. 115 verse three, but our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, you're not talking about you. <laughs> We're talking about God. And he's perfect. And so whatever he does is what? Perfect. You and I can't say this. We can't go, honey, I'm gonna do whatever I please. <laughs> Elders are gonna knock on your door after a while <laughs> and say, how are you treating your wife? We can't do that. We're sinners, right? We say that kind of stuff. We'll go, oh, I'll do whatever I want. That'll get you in all kinds of trouble. But not God. He's perfect in all that he does. So, so he, whatever he does, he does right. But then there's verses like this all through the Bible. And I thought about this verse when we were watching um, 60 Minutes, Psalms 148, verse 8. Fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds fulfilling his word. Do you think what's happening in Australia, what's happened here when we've had some natural disasters, quote natural disasters, do you think that's outside of the will of God? I mean, we're talking about Psalms. This is written 700 to 1,000 years before the time of Christ. And he says, fire and hail and snow and clouds and stormy winds fulfill his word. So this isn't new to God. And look, we certainly um, can impact the environment, right? I want to make sure we're clear on that. We can impact the environment. And, and, but we... we we can't say it's an end-all type of thing, right? Like, we're the problem, right? Um, God has a plan, and he has a plan, and he deals with things, right? And, and, the, and the Bible teaches that. So as we look through this, we realize that he can end the world, not us. And, and I want to show you this. Go to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter three. And we'll read a few verses here for a little bit. Let's see what God's word has to say, how things are gonna go down in the end. And I guess if you wanna think about climate change, <laughs> this verse may give you a new perspective of that, these verses. Verse one, he says, this, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you. 
Uh, this is what I want, yeah. Um, in which I stir up your sincere, which I am stirred up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So he's wanting to remind us of things, right? That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets in the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by the apostles. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mockings, following after their own lusts, saying, now let me stop right there. When we find the term last days, this is a little eschatology here, that term can start from the time of Christ's ascension in Acts chapter one all the way to now. So how we, how we understand that eschatologically is we are farther down the line in the last days because there were mockers in the apostles' days, right? Right? And, and they believed in the imminent return of Christ as we do as well. So what we say today is we are farther down. So these things, Peter's writing this, right? This is first century church here. So he's saying last days mockers will come following after their own lust. So we need to understand that when we hear all the stuff said in the news saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now here's an interesting statement. This is what they say. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Apparently, um, uh, Darwin wasn't around yet. <laughs> right? Because they said, look, everything stayed the same. Cows are still having cows. I had a lot of them. None of them came out as pigs or horses. Still having things after their kind. Put an apple seed in the ground. What grows? Come on, Jake. Apple tree. Yeah, thanks. Um, you get, that's what God did, right? So they're still happening. And, but they're looking at this as, well, when's the Lord ever going to return? Well, he begins to answer some of this. For when, for, when, uh, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens exist long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and by the water through which the world at that time uh, was destroyed, being flood, with a flood of water. So now he goes back, he says, look, the creation came out, we see that where God separates the waters, and the water covered the earth, and he brings land out of that. And then he talks about the flood here, where he, he brought a flood and destroyed the earth in that way as well. And then verse seven, he says, by his word, the present heavens and earth are being what? Boy, when I, when you, I don't, well, you guys did. You guys had fires here, right? Uh, into the 1990s. You, you guys have seen the fear of that. Out west, we have them a lot. So see, out in the places where we have ranches and stuff. Man, and there's nothing more fearful. I think a lot of you know that. When you hear that fire coming, it sounds like a freight train. Uh, we've had men in vehicles run down by a fire moving over 55 miles an hour and have to pull over and put space blankets on and go right over the top of them. I've had them chase me on fire trucks while we were trying to put it out. The wind comes up. There's just no, un, no, no way to outrun them. So this is interesting that he, that he uses this, right? So he's reserved the world for fire. He promised never to flood the world again, but he has reserved the world for fire. Notice this, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not let this one fact escape your notice. Man, this is exact wording, isn't it? Beloved, it's talking to us, that with, the one, uh, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. So we think, well, that's been forever. Mm, it hasn't for God. Everything is before him, right? So the Lord is not slow about his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. You're the beloved. Not wishing for any to perish. This is election, right? He's not going to let any of his people perish, 
but for all to come to repentance. So all that the Father gives me, Jesus says, I will lose none. Right? So he reminds us of that. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. It's got a loud noise is the Greek word. There's your big bang if you want one. And the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. I think that's climate change. (laughs) That's massive climate change, isn't it? This is the Lord's creation. And the Bible tells us in the end he's going to burn it up. Verse 11, since all, the, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking forward for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we are to be good stewards. And I want to hit this. I want to be very careful here. I'm not in any way mocking that we should somehow don't care. If God wants you to recycle, you should recycle. You should look into the truth of that, but that's another story. Uh, (laughs) We were good stewards. Look, we ran a cattle ranch, and we ran outside, meaning our cattle were on government property. We paid to be out there, and if we overgrazed that, there wouldn't be nothing for the next year. So you learn to be a very good stewardship of the grass because your cattle are not going to have anything to eat the next year if you don't deal with it. You don't eat it down to the dirt. You keep your cattle moving. You manage that. You manage your own farm, your own ranch. You take care of that so it'll keep producing for you. So there's always a stewardship here. So, so there is a word of conscience here, uh, a caution here. We need, we need as Christians knowing that this is God that made this, that he gave us the opportunity to be good stewards of it, that we keep this balance, right? God made it. He said, you guys have dominion over this. Take care of it for me. So there's a balance there. But when we read a text like this, we go, okay, let's not be worshiped this because he's burning it up someday. And there's real climate change coming when you start thinking about that. Now, throughout the scriptures, we see this balance of of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty when it comes to issues like this. So in Genesis 1.28, he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every living thing that moves on them. So rule over it. Now, Now, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Don't let it rule you, which is happening today, right? Man, heaven forbid you have a gopher turtle on your property, <laughs> from what I hear. Ours were spotted owls out there, and a million other things. And that just dictates everything. And meanwhile, we're slaughtering babies like there's no tomorrow. And now we want to pass laws where they can actually be killed after they come out of the womb. So you see this mixed up view because it's a rejection of the God who created it. And so Darwin, raised in a spiritual realm, father, I think, was a pastor or some kind of spiritual leader, rejects all those things of God, rejects Genesis, rejects the Psalms, rejects God, and comes up with some uh, complete farce of, of how we got what we got. And yet so many people, and so many Christians, unfortunately, they, they get raised and mom and dad don't lead them to the truth and pretty soon, they buy, I've talked to so many Christians say, hey, I heard you talk that you don't believe in evolution. 
have you read the very first verse from the Bible? <laughs> Let's start there. You know, you, you just have to help them. And I'm serious about this because there are a lot. I remember Jean and I met. I had the great privilege of dating my wife and discipling her in a lot of areas. And she, she wasn't raised in this real solid church of Bible expositional teaching. And I remember introducing, we got talking about, she, goes, she, she had really never wrestled with that. And once we showed it in the Bible, she goes, oh my goodness. And she adapted to it right away and said, oh, this is great. And, and it reminded me, look, there's lots of people. We, those of us have been raised in the church and in, the, in our Bibles, we look at this and go, oh, yeah, absolutely. God creates. He made them after their kind. They haven't changed. They haven't got better or worse. Man, it's, horses are still having horses and, and poppy seeds are, well, that's California. Um, uh, lazy Susans or whatever. They, I mean, they're all having the same thing, right? You can plant a plant. They get it on the package and corn. Oh, I got corn. It doesn't evolve. We have a God who beautifully designed our world. Sin has made it difficult, but it's still a beautiful world, isn't it? And so we worship him. B, I gotta hurry here. Um, These are just quick points here. God did not give us a spirit of fear. So over 300 times, I have to go back and count it, it might be three or 400 times, the Bible says, don't be afraid. That's what the Bible says. Now, we're talking about some of the kind of fake news, if you want to use that word, and hype on some of these things. But there's so many things we can be fearful of, can't we? My health, um, my relationships with people. And fear is a product of sin. And fear-mongering is used by those who don't believe in a God who has all things in control. So I want to challenge us today, and, and I think all of us probably at some level have fearful things in our life, maybe some more than others. It's actually a denial of a sovereign God. When you really break it down, I don't want to hurt anybody's feeling here, but I want you to think through this. So when we have a world that is constantly fear-mongering, you and I should say, wait, he did not give me the spirit of fear, but of power. Finding our strength in a creator, God, who has all things under control, friends. And so God didn't give us that. And that's why I wanted to hit this. So when you hear some of this crazy talk out there, and believe me, so much of it is about money. So much is about money. It's a massive, massive industry, the green movement. We shouldn't be afraid. Nobody can touch this world and damage it to a point where we can't inhabit it. And I can prove that to you through the scriptures, and I'll get to that in a moment. So God knew we would have many reasons to be fearful because this world fell. And so he reminds us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. When you hear fake lies and all kinds of political-driven stuff, the doomsdayers, you know, right? Some of the best shows, you know, on Discovery for a while was how you could build your bomb shelter, you know? And uh, everybody's into that for a while. That kind of went away. I haven't seen that out as much. Um, But that's going to come back again soon, so be ready for that. When you hear that, remind yourself, I have a God who is so precise in how he handles things, he can kill a cow here and let that one live. Let alone me, right? How much he loves me. So some fun things to think about. See, God has set parameters on this world and oversees them, right? Go out to the ocean again, stand there and say, hey, I know why the ocean doesn't go flying over me. Because why? Because God set the parameters of the ocean. The Bible says it. So he sets the parameters of these things. He can flood the world, which he did. He's promised not to do that again. 
But even in that, after the flood, he makes an amazing statement. I want you to maybe just write this down because I'm out of time. Genesis 8.22. Here's what he says. This is God declares this. 8.22. While the earth remains. Okay? So it's not going to remain forever. So he says, while the earth remains. You can look it up in Hebrew. It's very clear. While it's here. So 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us it's going away. Bye-bye. Good. We don't want this old one. We want the new one anyway. Right? So while it remains, he says this. There will be seed time and harvest time. There will be cold and heat. There will be summer and winter. Days and nights. And then he says this. Shall not cease. So if you have, if you think that that's all going away, you've watched too many you know, there's no day after tomorrow or whatever these, days, these things out and the snow's, you know, up at the top of the skyscrapers in New York and the, the snow line is moved. And yes, man, do people just love that stuff. If you think that's gonna happen, you have to say, my God's lying to me. Because he says right here, I will have seed time and harvest. Now, now look, climate change, if you wanna use that word, absolutely, there's things that go on and I love reading the old trapper stuff and um, back where we raised the boys at, I read a lot of the history of, of that and they had 40 years of just drought at times, you know. Everything died, I mean, and then, then all of a sudden the weather pattern changed and they got, you know, back and trees grew again and, and it's just fun to read that. So there's doubtlessly climate change and can man have an impact? I think so. Yeah, what, seven billion of us? We're gonna do something, right? We're gonna pollute the earth and we're gonna have some problems, right? We're a bunch of sinners. But there's no way, there's no way we can destroy what God has done. Now put it in a salvific way. Can you destroy your salvation? Well, we don't believe that. In our Reformed theology of looking at the scriptures, we believe that God saves, so then I can't lose my salvation. Now, if you believe you save, that you somehow muster up this corrupted will, I don't know how you're gonna do this, but, but in dead in your sins, if you somehow believe that, that you can save yourself, that you can cry out and make God save you and twist his arm and walk aisles and pray, pray, pray prayers and do all that, well, then you can certainly lose it. See, what God does can't be undone. What man does, <laughs> it can be a mess. So just like this, he built this world, he alone Establish it. God said, in the beginning, God said, and he speaks into existence all that we have today. Yes, it's now corrupted by sin at certain levels, but we cannot destroy it. He alone, in the day of the Lord, will say, that's enough of that piece. We're gonna start with another one. And so we trust him. And so, yes, there's probably some local climate changes going on and there's some effects of us living on this earth for these six to 10,000 years since creation and we're seeing some of that, but it's not the end of all end. And, and we will adjust. One, one of the things you read, if you like farming, they're, they're planting things in Indonesia that they've never, never been eating because the, the climate has changed a little bit there and they're growing some stuff there and those people are having some food that they've never had because they weren't able to grow there before. Meanwhile, somebody else has to grow something different because their climate changed. And we do that all the time. There was times Gene and I would plant our garden, June 15th, a freeze come, knock it out. Oh my goodness, here we go. We got 60 days to grow on the ranch. It was all we had of growing season. So you lost all your stuff if you didn't get it covered. And, and we had snow on 4th of July one year on our ranch. You know, and you're going, you know, what, is the world's coming to an end? No. It's just the way God designed this world. And and we know it has problems. Now, one last thought. I want to hit this. God gives priority to his highest creation. And I think this is the stumbling block. We do not, man does not look at 
man as God's highest creation. We're the problem, right? You hear it all the time. You know, you watch these wonderful shows, Seven Continents and, you know, whatever the thing is on BBC or something. I love watching it because the filming is phenomenal, you know. Five-ton elephants standing on their end, pulling off a leaf. To me, that's really cool. I, I love God's creation. But every time, you just know it's coming. All right, somewhere along, this is all our fault. Sure enough, here it comes. The elephants aren't going to make it. They're all going to die. And it's your fault. So, give some money. <laughs> and you just see it coming. Because they, man is not. They don't see what God said. I he is my highest creation. There is not an elephant, a monkey, a dog, nothing that God said I'll make in my image. He made us in his image. So we have a will and a soul and a mind and, and all of that. Though, our, though that's all corrupted by sin, at some level we are uniquely made like God. Animals don't have souls. I, I know you're, 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 you're little Yorkie you just love and you think he's going to be in heaven with you. I hope I'm not bursting into any bubble. The Bible doesn't say you have the desires of your heart. I don't know if you want that Yorkie when you're with Jesus. But anyway, we can work on that later. God made us like himself because we are going to spend eternity with him. And so, I think this is an attack on God. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 and 31, the Bible says, when a sparrow falls, I know about it. Anybody have bird feeders? We have one. Squirrels are constantly taking everything. Sparrows and cardinals and cowbirds and finches and I'm doing pretty good, huh? And my wife's the bird girl. Um, and, and you watch those things that outside of my study at home. It's just outside and I can watch it at times and, and you see these unique colors and patterns and how God made a feather with three or four different colors in it. It's astounding, isn't it? And yet, he knows when one of them falls but he says, how much more am I mindful of you? David stares out in the stars in Psalms 8 and he goes, you hung these things by the finger of God, you've put these there and yet you're mindful of me. So when the creation becomes greater than man, we've really lost our way. And so we become the problem. So exterminate, abort, get rid of the elderly, bring the, bring the population down, find the, find the fittest, the strongest. This is where evolution comes right back in and only have them and get rid of the weak. That, that's real. This is how they think because they reject the plan of God. And so as I study, I'm studying these plagues, I'm going, man, this isn't gonna go over good you know, on the six o'clock news that God wiped out all the animals. They just don't think God that way. And what about the poor cows? It wasn't their fault. I've had Christians come up. had people show up at church with their dog and said, you know, I want my dog at church because I want him to go to heaven with me. Brian, will you come deal with this? <laughs> we have to understand we, we are his greatest example. One more thought in closing this. I think this climate change is an attack on the poor. Travel with me. Go, go to the third world countries because that's where I go. <laughs> I like going there. I like reaching those people and training their pastors. They, they don't understand all this stuff. What are they trying to do? Get food for today. Go overseas. <laughs> I've been overseas in places and there's a Nestle's plant and the smoke's just 
spilling out of these giant silos. And I just kind of laugh like, hmm. <laughs> Whoever's doing that in America, they're hung up in the, in the town square. And we think we're, you know, and we're blamed for everything here. And you go, uh, you know, uh, all the world didn't <laughs> catch on to this recycling movement you have going. They're just trying to live. So, oh, we have to have this renewable resource has to go away because fossil fuels are going away and we, we're going to lose all our trees. And they've proven over and over we have more trees than we ever had. Um, and, and, and so we have, to, we have to put up this very, very expensive energy. And, and, and these people, we all have to pay more to have this. And it, they don't care about the poor. But Jesus cares about the poor. And, and, and beyond all of that, let me finish with this. We take the gospel. <laughs> that solves everything, doesn't it? That solves the eternal state. And it helps people. They get saved. They know the Lord Jesus Christ. And they begin to realize, wow, we're stewards of this world. And so they actually handle the world better. The gospel changes that. But this is an absolute attack against the poor. They, all they're trying to do is get enough rice. One, one or two bowls of rice a day is all I'm trying to get for my family. And tomorrow, I'm gonna go out and try to get the next bowl of rice. And you're worried about me recycling a tire. I'm trying to live. See, that's why we go with the gospel. So we love people because God loves people. And God saves people. And he put us on this earth to be good stewards of it and carry the greatest message ever which climate change can't even hold a candle to it. We carry the gospel. And that's our goal. It's why we support missionaries. It's why we're going to Honduras with another group and why we're building churches and, and helping missionaries grow and recording seminary classes to get them to our missionaries so they can learn and grow. I and mean, it's why we're doing what we're doing because this is the answer. Is that good? I, I just couldn't help but watch all those cows die in Egypt and say, I better say something about climate change and environmentalism. Uh, because I think so often we go down a wrong road. Father, thank you for the reminder of your word. Lord, I hope I did not offend anybody in here, Lord, or anyone that would hear this. That's not the goal. The goal is to come to the realization that you are in absolute control. You own this earth. It is yours. You built it. You created it. You spoke it into existence, and you will destroy it someday. And yet, you put us here and said, tend my stuff take care of it and so lord we need to be good stewards of this world but we need not worship it in any shape way or form lord that would be preposterous that would be adulterous to worship what you created and lord and on that note i just want to thank you for cows and horses and and hills and grass and trees and and all the beautiful things the waves and the ocean and the beach and things we we love and we can look at that and go wow look at the finger of god even in a fallen state lord we can't imagine what the newer heavens and new earth will look like because this is so beautiful and you did such a wonderful job here so help us lord to look at this world and thank you for its beauty and be encouraged that we have a god in full control and then yet we can manage the things we have our finances, our homes, our properties. Uh, just be a part of, of a very functioning world that you have us in right now, Lord. So help us be good stewards of those things, but not worship it. May our worship be for you, Lord. May we be those who are about the gospel, Lord. That's, that's our theme. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.